Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to today's Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Simon Cole, CEO of Automated Intelligence. How are you doing, Simon? Very well, thank you. Now, let's tell me a bit about what Automated Intelligence does. Okay, so we, um, we're a software provider. Um, we create software solutions that really help organizations um, take control of their data yeah. um, so that they, they can be better. So we, when you think of um, any organization, large or small, um, everybody all day long is creating lots of data, whether you're doing emails, whether you're creating Word documents, yeah. you name it, whatever you're creating. Um, the problem is that people have lost control of all of that. They've, we've created so much data uh, that people don't know what they have anymore. So we, we build a software platform um, that helps people find the information that they've created, and then we help them figure out what they should have. We help them figure out what they shouldn't have um, so they can get rid of that, and ultimately then let them start to comply with regulations uh, around how they should manage their information. Um, so when think, things like GDPR, for instance, yeah. that everybody's... Um, heard about for a long time and, and equivalents coming over from the US, CCPA. Um, there's lots of regulations that we have to manage, and so our software helps them through that so that they can get a, a green checkbox uh, on their compliance. And I guess, are you like Rolls-Royce and your custom-made for each customer? Yeah, so we, we, we try to have one platform for everybody. So it, it's um, pretty um, bespoke. It's a cloud-based platform, yeah. so everybody gets the same capability right across the stack. Um, but ultimately, and I guess it, it, it's interesting, we have been compared in some ways to Rolls-Royce in terms of what our solution does, that it is the it is one of the best out there in terms of managing people's data. Because I saw a show last week on Rolls-Royce on TV, and, and they were asked, what's the cost of a car? We can't give you the cost because it's bespoke, because every person wants a different car, and they might want different color, different features. And I'm guessing with you guys, it's the same, exact same thing, they all want different features. Yeah, we, we find, I mean, we, we try and create a, a common set of features that works for everybody um, so that we don't have to get into too much bespoke work. But the yeah. reality is um, when you're working with global brands and global customers, um, people do have an expectation that, um, you know, it does exactly what they need. So we've tried to be pretty generic in how the software is written so that we don't have, we don't get into that problem too much and we can keep a, a pretty level playing field. Um when you look at the regulations that we comply with, they don't change too much, and yeah. that means we can be pretty consistent in terms of what we do to help people address them. Because I think regulations don't change that much because when they, when they have to change, it's only when we're bringing in or, or it's been brought in new technology that's groundbreaking. And because AI is groundbreaking, it's been slowly evolving right now, nothing has changed too much to make you change the regulations. No, and, and I mean, the regulations have been around, Crikey, I, I've been in this industry for 25 years now, and, um, and the regulations have been around, you know, for at least 20 years, um, and they haven't changed too much. Uh, we, when you look at a lot of the basic requirements, so things like Data Protection Act that every country has yeah. in terms of how, you know, they manage your data and how they manage my data, those things are pretty consistent. You have to look after customer data. So the, the regulations have morphed around that. They've the, the biggest change in regulations, I guess, has been as you know when you look at the financial institutions and uh, you know some of the issues we've had around LIBOR and yeah. some of the issues that caused you know the crash in two thousand and eight. 
the, the more recent regulations are trying to stop that happening again, making sure the banks stay um, liquid and making sure that the, the markets aren't adversely impacted by people doing rogue trading, etc. Yeah. So that, that's been the biggest impact, I would say, in the regulations yeah. over the past decade. And also, I'd say GDPR as well would be a big impact as well. Yeah, I mean, GDPR is huge. Um, we, we, we do a lot of work with the people effectively finding the information that they hold about their customers yeah. and making that available so that they know what they have. Every organization um, under GDPR, from a global basis, really, if, if you deal with anybody that uh, is a European citizen, you have to know what information you hold about them. You have to control that and you have to be able to show that to them. And for most organizations, that's an impossibility. Um, they've captured data over many years and the data is lying in various systems completely hidden. So what we do is help people find that data, expose that for them so they can then get rid of it if they should have deleted it or at least make it uh, available so that if they need to show the customer what information they hold on them, they can do that very easily rather than maybe having to take two or three weeks of um, chasing their tails looking under every rock um, in the IT department to try and find the information. Because I remember years ago, you had, you, had, you had a guy in the department searching through all that data. Chances are he's going to find the boring buttons and make mistakes. Whereas with AI, it doesn't do that. It leads the people to do the proper jobs where they don't get bored or they don't sit there, well, I hate doing this. They get to do the real work. And the nitty-gritty is done by the AI guys. Well, that's it. I mean, when we speak to a lot of our customers, when they undertake, for instance, a subject access request for GDPR, um, without our technology, it may take them may, may take an individual um, one or two weeks to find all of the information they need to. Yeah. Once our platform and platforms like ours have been deployed, it's literally one or two seconds uh, because we, we find all the information up front, we store it, and then as they request it, we can retrieve it. Um, almost immediately for them. So the and that means that people aren't having to spend their life waiting through, you know, reams of information and, and hunting uh, in lots of systems to find it. It's right there in front of them. So it's a real um, it really benefits the organization because yeah. it reduces the cost and the um, impact and the effort to do subject access requests, for instance, uh, right back to nothing. Especially if you're looking at data that's over maybe five, ten years old that isn't really used much anymore. To go and surf through all that is, is, is going to be pain in the ass, but with you guys, I guess, it's done in seconds or minutes and it's easier to, to find what you want. Absolutely. So, I mean, we completely automate that discovery um, of the information and, and then we analyze it and then we keep that uh, available. Um, most governments have a policy of, of also having to take their information and make it available to their national archives. Yeah. And there's a there's a 20 year rule that, that says you know information digital information of which there now is in government needs to be managed and passed off you know if it is important and, and that's a huge problem even for government just to try and identify what information should go to the national archives what information should be destroyed and what should just be kept so again that's um you know hundreds of man years probably to go through. Uh, that information where again once you bring in the technology um, using machine learning artificial intelligence you can get through that in no time uh, in comparison yeah I'm just thinking for example uh, and our companies that I used to work for that would have would have to throw back through five years of, of shipping records in fact that they can do instantaneously is, is for audits for example it's going to be a lot easier 
Yeah, yeah, huge, huge. I mean, we we run um, for several banks. We manage all of their data, yeah. and that effectively means that we have analysed all of the information that bank owns, and we present that back to them through a very simple cloud-based dashboard. Um, any questions they get from the regulator, any questions they get from a member of the public in terms of what information uh, is held about them is, is instantly back and then instantly available for them. Yeah. So it is a massive impact um, on, on two fronts, both both in terms of saving people effort uh, and making people's job and lives easier, but it, but equally, um, you know, if you have a regulator breathing down your neck and you need to show that you're doing, you're being compliant and how you tr- you store and manage information, if you can literally um, sit down with them and show them in seconds that you're complying with that, um, obviously that makes their makes life a lot easier and, and removes, uh, you know, it, it helps the regulator understand that you're actually working proactively to solve these problems rather than maybe trying to hide uh, yeah. the data that you have. Because years ago, in one of my old previous jobs, I was helping with, with a <coughs> compliant or shipping compliance for dual-use goods and and we we got a we had, we got our five year audit, and the auditor came in and from the government he was looking for a certain date. He asked me for a certain year. I have to go through and and, and troll, troll through all these these stuff that was stored away in cardboard boxes and pull it out and show it to him. Whereas now with you guys, because it's a computer, it can be done instantaneously, which is means for the auditor, his job is easier to do, and he can do more audits per day now. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of work going on with a lot of organizations also back scanning information. So looking back in those cardboard boxes, looking back through all of that, getting that information digitized um, so that, again, from an auditor's perspective, you know, life is very much easier and uh, all of all of that hard work's taken out of it. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier about, about that you got a lot of corporate clients. I guess you're also working in many different continents. Yeah, I mean, we're typically, most of our work is in Europe, um, but um, like I say, with, with global customers, that brings a global edge to it. So we, while we may have a contract um, with an organization, maybe either here in Europe um, or in America, um, in terms of where our staff are effectively finding and analyzing data, that can be on a global basis, um, and that, that's pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, um, because of, of the stage we're at with technology, we don't travel very far. Um, we do all of our global analysis while sitting um, in, our, in our offices. It, it used to be we would be on planes every Monday morning, you know, flying off to go and help an organization. But that, that's all gone now. We, we stay put. And uh, we, but we do the same level of work without having to um, leave Ireland. Well, I guess it means no more air miles. Or no more yeah, well, there is that. Downside. But thankfully, people still need sold. Too, and we still need to sell the software, yeah. so that keeps a few of us in our miles. Yeah, but I guess at the moment, when you're talking about working, I guess right now remote working is, is, is a big part of what you do now because of COVID-19. Yeah, it's massive. I mean, we, we shut the office um, in the middle of March, and we don't anticipate being back in the office until sometime in October, at the earliest, depending where um, you know what the government recommendations are and where we've got to. Um it was a really easy transition for us. We, we've always been a very digital company. Yeah. Um, so we literally picked up our laptops, went home, and uh, on the Monday morning carried on working. Um, and certainly from our customer perspective, uh, we've had complete continuity. We haven't uh, really haven't been impacted. A lot of our customers, it has to be said, have been impacted. Um, you know, staff being furloughed, 
yeah. uh, and, and other other impacts or maybe priorities changing. Um, you know, we have definitely seen an impact because of it. But in terms of helping people, um, it's been a good opportunity. Um, a lot of organisations. Uh, data, let's say, has been in the wrong place for yeah. remote working. So an organization, their data is maybe sitting in some on-premise server in their in their building and the workers are at home. So how do we do that? So we've been helping organizations lift that data, take it um, into the cloud, into you know Microsoft Office 365 or wherever, and uh, enable them to continue working um, despite uh, the, the lockdown and the impact of COVID. Well, it gets, it's reassuring to, for them to know that you, because that it covered, it's like you guys, that you can still work remotely. So if you can do this, how can they? Yes, and, and there's a lot of lessons. I think one of the, the big things of COVID, um, you know, one of the legacies of COVID is change that's going to happen in the workplace in terms of how people work and, and you know, how organizations think about data. Uh, you know, we, a, a lot of people had disaster recovery plans in place. So if the worst thing happened, if their building burnt down, yeah. you know, they could um, continue working. But nobody anticipated um, everybody working from home. That was never a scenario or, or being forced to work from home. And, and some of those scenarios really um, caused people to think about how they work, where they store their information so that it's always accessible. Um, we, we have a lot of customers who said, we'll, we'll never put our data in a cloud. We don't trust it. It's not the future for us. We're just going to keep all of our data on premise. And um, <laughs> let's just say they've had to change their mind and their policy on that literally overnight. And uh, I, I can't think of many people that uh, haven't haven't made that transition over the yeah, last Yeah, I think months. that's probably the, the last the last uh, vestige of technology they got to they have to go through is the cloud. I mean, some companies will might say, "Well, we, we can use the cloud for email, but that's as far as it goes." But now with their data, they've had to realize yeah. right now that if you don't do that we're not going to be in business much longer. Absolutely right. And, and that, that change has been um, fascinating to watch. I think one of the challenges of that, though, is that as people have taken their data to the cloud, um, they, they focused on you know business continuity, which is absolutely what you need to focus on. How can I quickly get my information available so people can work on it? But one of the challenges with that is, well, what about the regulations? What about... You know, where is that information? Is it still under control? If I've got, um, you know, your personal data running um, in my system and somebody needs to work on it, has that information been effectively taken over to somebody's computer? Yeah. And is that now outside of the control of IT and outside of the control? So we've seen a lot of people um, probably causing a lot of hassle for themselves down the road in terms of the regulations and how they've been managing it. The regulators have been pretty relaxed so far they realized what's going on and they said look you know you still have to comply with the legislation but we're not going to enforce it right now but all that tells us is coming a day down the road when they are going to be looking to enforce it and they're going to be looking back at what happened during COVID and looking to see if you have ultimately you know taken control back of that information and have the right policies and procedures in place going forward so there's there's a real um post-COVID day of reckoning coming around how people have managed data mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, because I can see if you're told by the regulator at the moment that they're, they're saying to relax, don't worry about it, they're also checking to make sure that that doesn't mean to say you can sit back and do nothing. It means plan for this. So one yes. day we're going to come and knock on your door and ask you, what have you done since uh, COVID? What are you doing now? And if you've, yeah. made, if you've tried to do something, they're okay, you've tried and you're doing your best. But if you've done nothing, they're going to realize, hold on, we've done nothing. 
The only thing next is heavy fine or even worse. Yeah, exactly. And and the 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 challenge has always been, um, you know, when you look at how the regulator has typically worked historically. If you try to do something, if you at least have thought about it, put a policy in place, even if it's not perfect, they take that on board and they'll work with you. It's the people that, that have sat back and uh, thought, oh, well, you know, we're not going to worry about this. We're not going to care. Um, that's where the challenge comes, and that's where the fines get pretty messy, especially when you look at something like GDPR, yeah. um, you know, which is, uh, in terms of fines, a lot more severe than, than some of the, the previous regulations. Yeah, because two years ago, I was on a podcast about GDPR, and I was, I was asked to talk about it. This was about a month before it was been launched, and when I was asked about it, I mentioned the fines and what, what, what it incurs, and, and I was asked, well, who can afford that? Who's got their money? I said, oh, Facebook, it's pocket change. And I yeah. said, they can afford to do this. And you get guys who've got the kind of money can afford that. But the thing is, if you're a financial institution, even though you can afford us fine, the fact that your name gets splashed across the world media is different. Whereas with Facebook, they don't care. They've got all these users. And most users don't care about that. But when you're dealing with money or anything else, the moment you're a bank or something else in that area involved in this and you're getting fine healthy, your customers are going to think, why are we with these guys? Reputational damage, yeah. um, where we certainly believe is the biggest risk with GDPR. Um, the fines are the fines, as you say, you know, the, big four, the big companies can't afford it, but it's that reputational damage. When you look, um, you, know, you, you take anybody in the banking sector, any, any um, retail banks, and look at how easy it is now to change banks, yeah. and look at how easy it is to change provider. The minute, the minute your name is plastered over the newspapers because you you mishandle customer data yeah. or, or you lost data. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there, there's been plenty of pretty significant um, instances where an organization has lost an awful lot of reputation and, and customers um, literally overnight because of uh, mismanagement. Of you data. mentioned earlier so, about Libor. Well, that's an PPI. What those two have done, that people think, why am I with a certain bank? Because they've been fined heavily. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, um, yeah, I think you know pe- people are right to be um, not w- worried isn't the right thing, but the, people are you know are right to be concerned, and people are right to be making sure that they are doing you know, that they know what they have. Um, when, when you look, you know, at some of the GDPR fines recently um, over the last couple of years, BA got a big fine, um, and Marriott's um, yeah. hotel group got a big fine, and their their fine was interesting because they got fined because of uh, an in- they'd acquired. Starwood guest, so they'd acquired a breached data set, yeah. and then they got fined because of that. So things that have happened in the past, things that have happened externally um, with GDPR, yeah. have you know come come to bear on people. So people do need to be very cautious about their data and making sure they know what they have and, and, and where the risks lie within it. You can, I guess, if you're somebody who's who's a bought over a company, you're always got you got to write now check and make sure. Before you buy, you do 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 due diligence that there's no basically a, any leaks or anything that can cause you to get found. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I think for a lot of organisations, uh, when, when you look at the scale of some of the acquisitions, it's nearly impossible to do that. But um, you know, we've seen a lot of people um, at the point of acquisition or immediately post acquisition getting in and analysing the data so that they at least understand in the early days what the liability is. You know, they've just incurred by doing that um, acquisition. I don't think there's too many people get a chance to scan another organization's data pre-acquisition. No, I can't see that. Certainly, certainly you need to do it soon thereafter. 
It's like years ago, buying a company, you'd ask them, could, could I see your company books? And in those yeah. days, the uh, normal chances are you could have a look at it. But nowadays, that's impossible because they're so wide and everything else. And I guarantee yeah. if somebody who uh, actually buys, some, buys another company and then does their due diligence and finds out that there's, there's, there's mistakes in there, if they can correct most of them before the fine comes up, the regulator yeah. might say, well, actually, hold on. It wasn't your, it wasn't that, it was out of your control when you bought it. But you've seen what you tried to rectify it. So because of that, we're going to fine you a lot less than we should do. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's back to that point we were making earlier, Jim, just around. Um, it's, what orga- it's how organizations act and determines the fine that they typically get. Yeah. And again, those that are proactive understand there's risks and do something about that. Understand their data and try and, and fix it or at least you know, um, bring it under some level of control. They typically get a slap on the wrist. Uh, they may get a fine, but it's not a significant fine. Um, but it, as you say, it's people that do nothing um, that absolutely get hammered. Um, right, rightly so, in, yeah. my, in my view. Because <laughs> if, if you buy something and you have an idea, and then if you buy a company and you realize, why am I getting it so cheap? What's, what's the story? We don't bother checking that. And then once you bought it, you didn't realize why. Yeah, it's far too late at that point. Yeah, and then you, you at that point you end up then being screwed. Oh, what about what about you now? You either yeah. play dumb with you nothing, or you do something. But in my view, if if you bought a company and it was undervalued, you got to wonder why it was undervalued. What the story? You, sh- yeah. you should know better. You don't buy it without knowing what's up. Yeah, and and the, the reality of a lot of the regulations. Um, you know, even when you look into you know the Financial Conduct Authority. Um, and regulations they have, there's a there's a real responsibility on senior leadership to do something. There's yeah. a real responsibility on them to understand the risks and then to be mitigating against them. So GDPR is one thing, but there are so many regulations that demand at a boardroom level that yeah. organisations understand the risk and then are able to account for it and proactively manage it. That the, the, the do nothing scenario, yeah. um, which has plagued governments especially for many years. Um, is, is well out the window as an option. And I guess, have you noticed much changes in, in rectech tech sector since COVID-19 came in? Yeah, I think um, there hasn't been too many changes as a result of it. I think, as I said, the biggest impact is this lack of control of data at the minute. Yeah. Um, you know, organisations not properly um, man- managing it um, at, at this time of, you know, um, global national crisis. Um I think what we've seen is that uh, you know where, where we see changes happening coming down the road is really uh, going to be in response to this. Um, how organisations manage their data yeah. um, has changed. That's going to change for good. How, how people work is going to change, and that's going to require a rethink uh, for a lot of organisations, and also a, a rethink, um, you know, in terms of how the regulations are implied. Um, the breadth of the regulations, because again, a lot of them wouldn't have foreseen the scenario that we're in. With yeah. data being so dispersed, um, you know, across organisations and how people, um, you know, report against that and how people bring it back under control, um, you know, like even I look at ourselves, we're we're not a, um, we're obviously not a large fintech, um, but selling into that space, you know, we have a very for the last couple of years, we we've, we've got a very controlled platform, so all of the data that I use out of our organisation is still stored. Centrally, yes, it's on Microsoft um, Office 365 or it's on Microsoft Teams, but it's all completely controlled. So nobody in our organization is extracting data or has the capability to do that. So I'm very confident 
um, that we haven't in any issues because we've been remote working. But you know, I, I could walk you into many organisations who I know um, today have exactly that problem, um, that the regulations just haven't been broad enough to cater for how they're working today. So I think that's going to be the big impact as we um, hopefully look at some form of normality over this next yeah. six to nine I'm months. I'm thinking of, if you sign an SLA, which is which, where, where you store your data, if, if the SLA doesn't tell you exactly where it is, you could be in a country that's, when this pandemic hits a country, everything shuts down. And how do you deal with it then? Yeah. Yep, and and uh, you know, most organisations, um, large organisations, will have a, a relatively good view of where their data is, or they should do. Uh, for people that don't know where that data is, I mean, there's a, there's a, I would have a whole concern about an organisation that couldn't actually tell you which country um, or which jurisdiction their data is held in, because yeah. that that brings a whole set of liabilities in and of itself. Um, you know, in, in terms of customer interaction uh, and where where you've told your customers you're keeping your data and then where it actually is. If, that, if, they, if those two don't equate, um, you've probably got even bigger problems on your place. Yeah, and I guess years ago when you were talking SLAs and you, you knew where it was, you might try to make sure your data was stored in a country or region that couldn't be, uh, uh, couldn't, couldn't have issues with man-made things. like got issues like uh, thunderstorms or rain or heavy snow or anything else. But yeah. now you're going to bring in a pandemic issue as well, which is another thing totally again. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when, when you look at data from that global perspective and you take an organization, um, you know, like Google or, or like Microsoft, you know, they've had to spend a, an, an incredible amount of money building local data centers. I mean, you look at the, the Microsoft data center in Dublin yeah. uh, that's serving um, Europe uh, along with the ones in Amsterdam. Um, but, but people have got really paranoid, rightly so, of where their information is being stored. So rather than all of your data being in a U.S. corporation uh, and stored overseas. A lot of the data protection acts, um, you know, you think especially of something like Germany, uh, you know, where data is not allowed to leave German soil effectively, and yeah. even the even the data centers are, are run, you know, by staff that are are, are not uh, effectively Microsoft budget holders for that very purpose, so that they can guarantee information does not leave uh, the country. So it's it's a massive. Um, I'm sure it's a massive headache for the big cloud players like uh, Amazon and Google and Microsoft, but it's a reality of, of the protection that we all demand, uh, that the people who we give our data to, that they look after it, that they store it somewhere safe, and they know where it is at all times. I remember three or four years ago, Twitter brought in a rule that, that said any data of, of, the, of, of uh, people using Twitter that was outside North America was not going to be stored in America data centers, because if that was the case... Then the American government could have access to that data and be able to use it and say, sorry, we won't actually who this user is. They've done that. I can see a lot of people now actually looking back thinking that with pandemic, etc., we want to make sure that we know where it is and we want to make sure that it, it, can, it can be accessed properly and fairly and not be abused. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, we have over the past helped um, numerous government departments who were, um, let's call them early adopters of cloud technology, and maybe hadn't thought through the, you know, um, where the data was being stored and the sovereignty of that data. Yeah. And we, we've helped them effectively extract that information and, and bring it home um, so that it's sitting, you know, at hand and it's in the same sovereign area as the organization is based. So whether that's in, in, in Ireland or whether that's in um, the UK, but, but knowing where your information is, especially from a government perspective, 
um, you know, is really important so that you can again um, comply with the legislation, but ultimately, you know, from your citizens' perspective, uh, make sure you're doing the right thing and, and not exposing them to foreign powers. You know, we're somewhere where certainly there's a regime change and everything is nationalised. So all data centres are now nationalised by the by the governments, like in Iran, they didn't fit you with the, with the oil. It's all owned by them again. So you got that. Well, they own your data. You don't want that scenario happening either. No, absolutely not. So it is a challenge. And I mean, I think when you look at privacy as a, as a topic and um, the revolution that's happened around data privacy over the last couple of years, fueled a lot by, um, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all of these places that we've all been very free to give our data to without really too much concern because of the, the perceived value we get back um, yeah. from their platforms. But it, it has exploded in terms of something that people are now concerned about. Um, you know, what does, what information do people hold? Yeah. Uh, what are they doing with that information? And is it being managed appropriately? And, the, the, you know, of all the people, we we really expect our governments to be taking control of that and knowing that. Um, the big corporates, we kind of give our information to them freely, but yet all of a sudden when it's a government issue, we become a lot more concerned about what, what information they hold and what they can do with it. Yeah. And it's the thing you think like track and trace apps for COVID and other things, they're going to make sure that data is not going to be uh, abused or anything else. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the, the lengths that, um, you know, countries are going to to try and understand that information and use it <coughs> and trying to do it in a way that either doesn't breach um, – Privacy by using the Google or the, the Apple approach with yeah. their you know, Bluetooth APIs, or then you've got the more centralised approach that some governments are taking, and that causes a whole a whole fear that people are going to use this exactly for that track and trace and uh, big, big Brother uh, view. So yeah, I think Norway and Denmark have said that when this is all over, they're going to delete all that data from the from, so it can't be reused or used again, which is nice touch. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, 10, 15 years ago, that probably wouldn't even have been a thought for people no. uh, around that sort of thing. But today, um, privacy is everything, so it's, it's a huge Which issue is for them. The scary thing is right now, you're walking around with a mobile phone in your pocket, so you can be easily tracked anyway. So unless you've got, no, no, no. you got a burner phone or you got a Faraday cage handy, no one's going <laughs> to you're going to be tracked as you go along, and that's what, no matter what, you can't get around them. Yeah, no, no, it's... Um, it is crazy. We, we, we carry so much data and we give out so much data everywhere we go. Um, it's, it's fascinating. Like imagine again, organizations have to be really careful that they that they don't fall into that trap. Where we as citizens and consumers freely give that away. When we pay an organization um, you know, for a service and we give them our data, we expect a completely different yeah. relationship from them. We expect them to manage it appropriately. Like, imagine if you're in a bar and you went to a bar and you met a girl there and you're chatting to her. And telling her everything about your life story, who your friends are, what you did that day. That's what you do with Facebook every day. You give yes. them all that, and it, and it's and you're giving them for free. It's a free service. I'm going to wonder why is it free? Because you're giving them all this data. Now imagine if a company did that. If, you, if your bank went into somewhere else and was was going in and doing that, or someone was going in and said, "Oh, hi, by the way, my name is my name is Simon. I've got a, I've got a million customers in my bank, and we've got a, we've got a billion dollars on on reserve. You wouldn't be doing that." No, they'd be dead in a day, and that's again why yeah. it's become so important for them. And you know, and there has been such um, you know poor cases of data being managed by organisations where they literally have opened the doors and people have 
you know, maliciously, accidentally, or whatever, taking that information out. It's vital um, that these organisations, um, you know, financial services especially, but but everybody, you know, really thinks about the information they hold. Really make sure that they have it under control. And there's benefits to that as well. If you um, take control of the information that you have, you can actually use it to serve your customer better. You know yeah. what you know about your customer is really valuable. Um, so if you can mine that, if you can use that for their betterment um you know you also increase the value that you hold and uh you know the, the the benefit that you are to that customer so therefore you can sell them more services so it goes beyond um just the data protection yeah. it very much goes into you know service benefit and delivering better value uh, for your customer as well i think people overlook that a lot um data has long been seen as a hard thing to solve managing data uh, cracking the nut of you know where my information is um, has has long been seen as as a next year problem. Um, the technology exists to do it, and the organisations that are um, you know leaping ahead of their competitors are the people that take control of that information and then make use of it um, for their own game. You know, I guess those people are, uh, they make sure they've got time to do this, but as others who don't care, they won't spend the money regardless of what it costs. They won't spend it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. You know, and you look at some of the the younger organisations, and, and they, um, you know, from a financial services perspective, and they're hungry for customers. They're so hungry for customers that all of that regulation and all of that control—it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah—that's down the road for them. Um, so, so they end up with a situation where they capture a lot of information um, about their customers, but don't necessarily control it, and and they're now playing catch up to try and. Um, get on the right side of the regulator who, who knows they have this information, yeah. knows that they haven't properly managed it, um, but ultimately, uh, as the kind of darlings of the financial services world, they need to quickly get their acting gear, um, otherwise they're going to stick out for the wrong reasons. I can see them kicking a can in a road, and the can sort of is a coke, as a size of a Coke can, and then by the end of it all, it's an oil drum because of what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And... You know, that's, um, they talk about, you know, data is the new oil uh, yeah. in terms of you know, the value that you can get out of it. And, but when you look at the, the, the volumes, the sheer volumes of it that we are now creating, it's, it's quite incredible. Um, and that's not even, that's just, you know, what we create as individuals. When you look at what, um, you know, organizations are harvesting, you know, through mobile phones, through all of the other means, through IoT, etc. It's It's vast volumes of data. Yeah, and especially when the harps and data they don't really need. Like I saw an app that was designed for an Android phone. I want to access your personal contacts on your phone. And I'm going, why do you need that? Yeah. And then if you look on, on an iOS device, that won't happen because the kernel won't allow you to access that. They've blocked it on iOS. But on Android, I just don't get why you need that information to be given out. Yeah, and, and I think, again, that's another area where you know the regulators and everybody's had to step in to try and force some control on that again because people even through facebook apps when you when you look at some of the um you know the political interference through information being sidelined out of apps and you know on facebook and thing um it's quite incredible just how it can be misused yeah and uh, that to me makes it sad when you see data can be used used for good but the moment we've seen a lot of stories about it being used for bad and I'd rather see more good news stories about data and how like what you guys do with data is great and helps companies streamline, work faster. It means that their, that their customers can be more happy because they know data has been used effectively 
in a positive way and not been abused or um, or sold on somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it helps organisations be very proactive in terms of communicating that. It, if you as an organisation can be upfront and say, you know, we know all of the information about you. In fact, here's our portal. We've captured this information. Feel free at any time to come and look at what we hold. You completely remove a whole layer of suspicion. You, you remove a whole layer of regulation because you're complying with it openly yeah. with your customer rather than having to go and prove through an auditor at the back end someone that you're actually doing it. So there's a whole lot of, um, as I said, your reputational benefits and uh, risk reductions that you can do by uh, doing it correctly. Yeah, and I've seen banks that have moved their IT infrastructure out to India, which which has caused a lot of issues. And then my bank had a few problems with when major crashes, all because of that, because the technology that we're using, basically probably COBOL-based, very old-based systems, and legacy, and then they're trying to put in the modern systems, and the guys in India wouldn't know anything about the legacy stuff, and suddenly you get an overload, and then data gets gets lost or, or easily leaking. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's back to that, you know, data sovereignty issue, making sure that you know where that information is. But um, it, it it is it is the um, it is the oil that you know lubricates organisations and keeps them flowing. Yeah. Um, so anything that the people are doing that don't it doesn't respect the data in a way and doesn't make sure it's being managed. Um, only brings the opportunity for liability. And whether that is through, you know, systems being poorly written to manage that information or through lax policy yeah. that lets that information, um, you know, leak out of the organization. It's, um, it, the, the information is, you know, data is huge and there's lots of it. Um, but just because there's a lot, lot of it doesn't mean it can't be controlled. We, we work with, um, a lot of partner organizations, um, you know, across all the different data types, uh, whether that's structured flows coming in, you know, through trading systems, um, whether that's information that's going between, you know, com- commerce organizations, purchasing systems, et cetera, or whether it's the, the data that we create every day in Word documents and emails or whatever. Um, it can be controlled and it just takes a, a consistent approach and a, a very well managed approach to bring it under control and, and the regulations force it yeah. you know the, the, the chief data officer um, the chief information officer have um, you know obligations that make them personally liable if they're not managing this information correctly so it's something that every boardroom needs to consider and, and be taking control of and again back to what you guys do tell me more, a bit more about your cloud-based solution ai data lift yeah, so, so Data Lift is the hub of what we do, and it's the culmination, really, of 20 years of working um, you know, in the information governance and information management space. Um, so we will deploy it for an organization. Um, it will then, we will effectively uh, give it access to the organization's core data systems, and it will analyze those for the, for the, for the customer. Um, <clears throat> needless to say, that has to be a very secure a managed process given the, the value and the quantities of data. But we will analyze the organization's data. Yeah. From that, we can give them insight. We can start to tell them what data they have. We can start to tell them uh, what risk is within that data. And we can help them put policies in place that manage that. So if an organization, let's say, has a high exposure um, to personally identifiable data um, from a GDPR perspective, we can give them very clinical clear insight into their level of exposure that they can then track and they can put policy in place to start removing that risk and, and indeed that's what 
Um, you know, when, when you look at our customers, that's exactly what they're doing, identifying risk, analyzing the data, and then reducing that risk by applying policy I'm onto it. So regardless of the regulation or the policy, uh, we can help them um, take control of it. So it's a completely, uh, it's, a, it's a lightning fast product. It's cloud-based. We'll, we'll crunch through an organization's data um, very fast and give them immediate access to that, to the, all of their information and what they're doing with it. And I guess because it's cloud-based, it's easy to, to install because it's like a SaaS yeah. model. Yes, there, 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 there ultimately is no installation. And, and um, but that's it's very interesting for us because typically with, with systems like this, um, history tells us, you know, it would take you nine months or maybe even a year to get um, a platform like this installed and get the hardware in place. Yeah. Where all of that's already in place and it's literally, we, we deploy it securely into a customer's um, cloud environment and uh, we press go and within 24 hours, we can be scanning their information, uh, giving them insight and helping them to start uh, understand, um, you know, where they sit with their information. So it's vastly cut down the effort and, and significantly improved the the reality of doing this uh, for for organisations. Reminds you of the old Martini slogan: "Any time, any place, anywhere." Yes, very much so. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, I, I mentioned that we've got global customers, so we would have a an instance of our platform in the cloud, and whether the data is, you know, in Australia, whether it's in Singapore, whether it's in Europe or in America, um, we can analyze that information in real time and give them insight on a global basis as to what they have. So the, the cloud is a great enabler um, when it comes to taking control of information on that global basis. Yeah, I think over the years, people in there, it's the last great barrier for certain companies to uh, turn from digitally is because of the cloud. And now that we realize when COVID has to be done, as I said earlier. So with these kind of products you're offering, they're in a win-win scenario because they they don't have to worry about how do we access their data or where can we do this because it can be done anywhere on any any device. Absolutely, and you know, and that that is the benefit. And that, I mean, ultimately, um, that's what we expect, isn't it? Of of data these days, we expect to be able to access it instantly on any device and anywhere. The the, the threat to that is security, um, and uh, you know. We, like any organization in this space, have spent a lot of time on security, working with the cloud providers, yeah. um, but also working with you know um, security organizations from a penetration testing perspective to make sure that the platform is safe, and that's a key thing. Um, accessing information anywhere at any time is great, but you need to make sure it's secure before you before you do that. Otherwise, you just open yourself up to even more challenges. Yeah, speaking back to in the, in the 70s and early 80s when you had these mainframe computers in one room and you were on dumb terminal. And dumb terminal decided what you could access. Same with what you do now. The cloud like a, is, is like the mainframe. And, you can, and your device is dumb terminal and you're told what you can and can't access. Yeah, and, and so it's really important that people... Um, you know, um, configure and manage that security um, as a really critical aspect of, of anything. Uh, when, when we talk to organizations that are moving on to cloud platforms, uh, again, you know, uh, whether that's Google or, or Microsoft Office 365, the most critical thing you can do is design that system correctly yeah. so that your security is applied correctly and that the information you do put in it can only be accessed by the right people. It's easy to say, um, and you know, with a bit of foresight and a bit of work, it's easy to do as well. But the reality is, so many organisations, when when these new gadgets appear, like Microsoft Teams, 
um, they, they, they turn the taps open uh, without necessarily planning it. And that leads into, you know, the potential for a lot of chaos and a lot of information floating about that should just never be, uh, you know, available in that way. Yeah, I'm thinking now, a lot of modern uh, devices now have built-in fingerprint scanners or or, uh, or facial scanners or iris or, or uh, retina scanners. So with that, that's one way of of keeping your your data secure as well. Yeah, hugely important. I mean, all of our platforms come with two-factor authentication, um, so that there, you know, there can be no rogue access that. Um, only named individuals who um, authenticate through whatever means, whether that's fingerprint, facial, um, or through tokens, uh, can get into the platform. It's, it's critical. Um, and again, um, you know, in, in the world in which we live, with the access to information and with the level of people wanting to maliciously access information, it's critical that we we lock it down and we keep it safe. Because right now on my phone, I've got a banking app, which is what I can do all banking with. And to access it, I've got a setup that it, it takes my my facial recognition and uses that. But I have to be posed in a certain way. And if my glasses aren't though, I'm not posed in a certain way, they'll then ask me to key in my my passcode. So it's very, very secure. I'm not parents at first didn't yeah. get didn't get this. I go, well it it means that basically when I'm u- it knows it's me using it and it can't be abused by somebody else. But yeah. I, I then joked that yeah, but but the funny thing is if they got into my account, there's a little money in there to waste your time doing that anyway. <laughs> well, there's one thing that I've worked out that Apple need to improve on. Um, it's facial recognition when you've got a face mask on yeah. with COVID because it, it, can't, it can't handle that yet. When you're standing at the checkout with a face mask on trying to buy something, um, it hasn't worked out how to do that. So I don't know how they're going to get around that with COVID, but that's my one recommendation. Yeah. Or, ba- or, <laughs> a, bala- or a balaclava if you're in somewhere in the Middle East. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm just looking at it. I mean, I know that... Face masking is difficult to get around, but I mean, other than that, that's difficult to do because when you set your phone up, my device up, I, the pandemic was in there and I had no face mask to test it with. And unless yeah. they bring in an update that allows you to redo it with a face mask as well, that'd be great. You could have two yeah, faces, day and night. Yeah. But I mean, the security is amazing. My, my own telephone, my own bank, while it's an internet bank, when I phone in um, for whatever reason, um, they have voice recognition um, yeah. on the system. So by the time they've asked me my name and my address, uh, they don't ask me any security passwords. And it, in one sense, it feels really unsafe, but yet in another sense, I know that they've got the voice recognition on there so that they, they know who I am You know, by the time I've, I've kind of said my name. So, it, I mean, the technology is incredible in terms of what it can do. Yeah. Um, and it, it can make life an awful lot easier when it's deployed correctly. Unless you're Ethan Hunt with a, with a voice changer device that can change your voice. Yeah. <laughs> that, that could <laughs> be the it. next thing. I can see Tom Cruise having that device. So <laughs> I'm Simon Cole. Because <laughs> he did it in one of the recent movies they did that actually they had a thing where they uh, could actually mimic the uh, the voice of somebody were doing that. So that's going to that's going to be the next thing you have to worry about. How do you make sure the voice is authenticated and is actually who you say you are? Yeah, well, it's incredible. And, and interestingly, um, you know, when we're working with organisations, one of the things we're working on um, currently, you know, is around um, taking video to text and taking speech to text, so yeah. we can take call centre conversations and use that data as well. So when you've been on, you know, with an organisation speaking to them. You want everybody within that organization to know the conversation, to know the context, yeah. and, 
and the history of your working with them. So being able to use some of these new forms um, and being able to use some of that data that's there, but but poorly used, like the, the video, yeah. the text, um, or the speech to text, um, you know, is a great opportunity um, to again expand um, expand you know the, the capability of the data. Uh, and a lot of the you know what we work with Microsoft a lot as I've, as I've indicated, um, and you know their capability now, now allows us to do um, you know person detection based on the audio, so we can identify and separate out speakers. So yeah. if I'm on the phone with my bank, I can separate out me speaking versus the operator I'm speaking to, and then ultimately you know get a transcript of that conversation. And then use that um, as part of the ongoing uh, relationship with the customer. Yeah, and I saw recently, a couple years ago, uh, it was Mastercard and you introduced a thing called the Ring, where you put on your finger and it texts you are by your heart rate. Because your heart okay. rate is unique to you, like a fingerprint, can't be easy copied, whereas a voice could be. So this one is put on your finger, and when you access your system, the system knows like that that it's you. Because it's your heart rhythm, and I'm thinking with voices in in one way, if they have a way to to prove in a second that it is you, not somebody else mimicking your voice, and not like a Roy Bremner coming on coming yeah. on that, then you're fine. Yeah, and uh, we we work with a, a company in in um, Belfast actually who um, you know do that the heart wave detection, and it's, it's fascinating when you look at that as a unique pattern. Yeah, um, and and how they can identify that, you know, whether that's as you say, through a physical device um, or through, you know, the wearable technology yeah. that we all have on our wrist these days, you know, that they give off those signals and capture it. It makes it, it makes security in a, a fascinating uh, arena um, going forward. Yeah, and I, I guess right now it's going to be fun seeing how these hackers try and break these. And if, if they break a certain technology, what do we do next to combat that? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, uh, you know, I think the reality history shows us that, that you know hackers always get away through this technology, so it's about just trying to stay ahead of them, um, you know, at all times. And I guess for us and for the customers we have, you know, it's so critical um, security. Um, you know, our data is, is is so important for us that making sure that we have all of the right security procedures in place, that we are always at the forefront of that technology, is so important. And it, it's why. Um, you know, when we look at who provides, you know, these cloud instances, um, thankfully, in one sense, it is the Googles and the Amazons and the Microsofts of the world who can afford, you know, to spend the billions of pounds a year that it takes to keep the security at the forefront. Um, while people, some people may have concerns over organizations of that size, you know, um, owning access to the data or, or being managed by them. Um, you know, from our perspective, the security layer that that provides far outweighs, um, you know, the risks associated with it. Especially now when you're in a pandemic and you're not sure when it's going to finish or if it's going to be a second wave or third wave, it's good to have this plan in place so you know how secure data is going to be and where it's stored, etc. Exactly. And, and, and that's where, you know, for us, that's where we see the future opportunity as well, is helping organizations really, um, you know, taking control of their data. And really using this as a learning lesson about you know how they operate going forward, uh, and and we see a, a lot of opportunity and a lot of need uh, for people to really take us on board and, and manage their information better, um, you know, over the coming months and years. Because I'm thinking years ago, you used to have in a company you'd have a fire alarm and then again test how how ready were you were. 
Soon there'll be a pan pandemic test to test how well you can you can actually uh, go to your go and work remotely. So you might be told pandemic coming. You have to go and work remotely. How quick can you do this? And how quickly can you can you yes. make sure your data is safe and secure as well? Yeah, absolutely. And then, like I said, when when we um, you know effectively closed the door in the office because we were cloud enabled and working in a cloud platform already, it, it was instantaneous for us. You know, we didn't lose. You know, we didn't lose any time whatsoever. Yes, there's the psychological impact of living through a pandemic, and that is impactful, obviously. But in terms of you know access to work and information, uh, for us it was completely seamless, and there's no reason why any organisation can't have that same experience. Um, it's it's not complicated to do. Um, we've worked with organisations, you know, who you know within um, two to three weeks of the outbreak yeah. of COVID. Um, Effectively taking you know staff of one hundred and forty thousand people online and making them uh, cloud enabled through things like Microsoft Teams uh, for teleconferencing. So it's very doable. It's very quick to do, um, but you got to do it right at the same time. Yeah. And it's really important that there's thought put into it. And to me, the one downside is there'll be more divorces because you're living more so with your with your family day in day out, and you, that's something you're not used to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, my, um, my my kids are very happy that uh, I'm locked upstairs in the office and yeah. uh, I'm not getting involved in their homeschooling. That's their biggest fear. Yeah, because <laughs> I can see right now YouTube taking in. As I talked to you earlier, oh, before we did this, we're talking about the Michael McIntyre video, and we're talking about it. Uh, you're now going to be a, not a comedian. You're, you're going to be um, an, an amateur hairdresser and a school <laughs> teacher as well. That's happening a lot more now. It's incredible. I mean, there's so many of those um, memes and sketches that have been done, you yeah. know, about people talking to themselves six months prior to this outbreak or the Michael McIntyre one. And it, it, it is it is quite funny when you look at how we have transitioned and the life that we've moved into. It, it almost nearly feels normal now. And uh, we're going to have reverse culture shock when we come out the, the other side of it and have to get social with everybody again. Oh. I don't think it'll be too hard for us. And it was like if you watch an old, an, old, an old movie or something and you see people in a bar dancing and they go or, or in restaurants, big crowd in restaurants, and your kids will be going, I can't believe you go, you did that, Dad. <laughs> was it safe? Well, we, we, yeah, we've experienced that ourselves when you're watching TV and you're thinking, they're all a bit close to each other, do they not? You know, they, they need to spread out and then you realise it's a movie you're watching and... Yeah. <laughs> but the worst thing is writing a soap opera and you're seeing this and you're thinking, this meant to be set in the, in, in the times of today. Why are they still uh, yeah. doing things they shouldn't be doing? Yes, that's it. <laughs> I, th I don't think the movie industry will do too bad out of COVID. I'm sure it'll spark uh, a, a large number of films as a result of it. Oh, I think it will. I mean, it's it's like basically uh, every time something big happens, like a Vietnam War or something else, or a Korean War or a war or a pandemic, there's always movies based around that. Yes, absolutely. and this will be no different. Yeah, I can see movies made of people like people uh, connecting via Tinder or something else because there's nothing else to do or Zoom. Yeah, I, I saw some lady um, has started hatching eggs, but hatching eggs, sorry, but in um, supermarkets yeah. as her um, COVID uh, pastime now. So yeah, there's people doing all sorts of crazy things. Yeah, there was a girl in Northern Ireland. I've forgotten actually where she actually now. Is film video, filming thirty second video on TikTok of of, of spawn of uh, tadpoles, and that now is going global. 
and she's now been signed up by uh, an agency that, that looks after uh, creatives in America, signed her up. Fantastic. And just happening today. There's opportunity everywhere. Yeah. And, I, and I, I'm sure with you guys, you always find a, a new opportunity somewhere along the line. It's always going to be there. Yeah, there, there is. And, you know, and, and for us, you know, there's an opportunity that we've been helping people at the minute, um, you know, get themselves into a cloud-ready state. We, we've made all of our software available free of charge um, to, uh, you know, frontline health services. Yeah. Um, you know, if we can help them, uh, if they haven't had their information, but, you know, there, there's huge opportunity we see in the future um, as people rethink how they do work, as people rethink how they uh, manage their information and how they uh, meet these regulations. So there's, there's no end of opportunity, ultimately, um, to help organizations, you know, Im- improve what they do today, uh, especially when it comes to that data management aspect. Yeah. I mean, th- thanks very much for that enlightening conversation, uh, uh, Simon, and uh, ha- have a great day and take care. Thank you very much, Ronan. Great to chat to you. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye.